Welcome to a mini episode of what you didn't expect in fertility, pregnancy, and birth. This is a show that shares true experiences of getting pregnant, being pregnant, and giving birth to help shift the common cultural narrative away from the glossy depictions of this enormous transition that you can find on all kinds of media to a more realistic one. It also celebrates the incredible resilience and strength it takes to create another person and release that new person from your body into the world. I'm your host, Paulette Kamenica. I'm a writer and an economist and the mother of two girls. And boy, did I struggle with this transition. In this episode, I talked to a fantastic midwife who gives us a care provider's perspective on some common things that happen in births in medical settings. Today, we talk about the tools doctors and midwives use to predict how a birth will turn out and the medical care provided to the baby just after birth. Here's our conversation. Today, we're lucky to get to talk to a fantastic certified nurse midwife named Ann Richards. Ann, thanks so much for coming on the show. Thanks so much for having me. Um, I'm wondering if over the course of your career, have you seen any changes in the way that we can assess how a birth will go? If only, Paulette, I would be a wealthy woman who didn't work night shift if that were the case. Maybe one day there's always new lab testing. They're saying there's all this research in placentas now that show that there were markers for preeclampsia. And I'm sure there will be new lab value eventually. But right now, no, broadly speaking, unfortunately, no. Again, I don't want to come across sounding like I think birth is always scary because largely it's not. For every birth that I find very anxiety provoking as a provider to attend, I've had probably 75 to 100 that were overall incredibly smooth, right? And straightforward. But unfortunately, the really tough ones stick with you and they should, I think. As a provider, I I never want to become complacent or ignore hard outcomes or difficult processes. But some of the sickest people I've seen had no risk factors. So some of the women who have had incredibly scary high blood pressures and what we would call severe preeclampsia requiring many, many, many interventions to keep them and their baby safe, it progressed so rapidly versus the people who were watching kind of like have higher risk factors and they're kind of teetering on the edge of a diagnosis for months and then they never get it, right? So unfortunately, no, there are lots of things we know that that help women be more likely to have a healthy pregnancy and birth, but those aren't completely protective factors. So one example I can think of with respect to prediction and birth outcomes is that VBAC risk calculator, the scoring system that doctors use to try to assess if women who have had a cesarean section in the past are good candidates for labor and a vaginal delivery with the current pregnancy. So what I'm looking for, ideally, for women in the future is those risk calculators for many things. Oh, absolutely. And I think there's certainly, I'm sure there are a lot in the works, but it's even with those VBAC risk calculators. So I I myself had a VBAC and I was playing with my calculator constantly before I went in to give birth. And that VBAC was less than two years ago. And even in that time, there's been a lot of data coming out that the VBAC risk calculator we use, which takes into account ethnicity and things like maternal or, or pregnant person weight, it's probably like those really those factors shouldn't matter. So even in two years, that risk calculator, the efficacy of it in its predictive value has been deemed probably not nearly as high as, as we thought. So it's all fascinating. It's constantly changing. Yeah. 
That's totally interesting. Yeah, I assume they use factors like ethnicity as a really rough gauge because they don't really know what they're measuring. No, exactly. I mean, we know, right? Race and ethnicity are, are absolutely based on systemic racism are huge yeah. risk factors for poor outcomes. But I'm wondering, well, why is that? I, I still can't figure out why that would be a, a positive or negative component of a VBAC risk calculator. Now they're saying, yeah, that never should have been included in the first place. Oh, so totally it's really interesting. interesting. Yeah. And that's in less than two years. Okay, well, hopefully we're moving in the right direction. So this is the deal with the VBAC risk calculator. It was created based on the outcomes of about 12,000 people who'd had one previous C-section and were full term in a second pregnancy in the U.S. at academic centers. Researchers looked at how this second birth went. Was it an unscheduled C-section or a vaginal delivery? Based on this data, they chose six risk factors for the calculator. And those risk factors were body mass index, age, history of prior vaginal births, prior cesarean because of dystocia, and Black or Hispanic race or ethnicity. The use of race in this calculator is the issue. Why would race be predictive of this outcome? And why is it an issue? Why do we care? Because more people of color get lower scores in this calculator and are counseled by their doctors to avoid a trial of labor after having had a cesarean. And there's data to suggest that people of color have more negative outcomes from C-sections. So the VBAC calculator underpredicts success, dissuading women from having a VBAC when they could have done so successfully. So the new calculator takes race out and instead uses a variable that's measuring for the presence or absence of chronic hypertension. Note that other studies have found that variation in VBAC rates is likely driven by differences in institutional and organizational characteristics between hospitals. Things like lack of continuous professional bedside labor support, confinement to a bed for ease of automated monitoring, reliance on epidural technology to the near exclusion of other physical or emotional supports. All these things have been associated with high rates of intervention, including cesarean birth. So it's these things that are more predictive than any issue about the mother's body or health. So this last question is about the things that are done for the newborn right after birth. Most new parents are offered three things for their new babies, silver nitrate in the eyes, vitamin K, and the first hepatitis B shot. First, what do you think about the silver nitrate? Isn't that just to protect the baby from contracting gonorrhea from its mother? Is that an issue if the mother has been with the same partner for a long time? That one, I'm sort of middle of the road on that because that's how I was trained. Okay. That if you had someone who planned to decline the eye ointment, that you really would just encourage them to do repeat gonorrhea chlamydia testing or gonorrhea chlamydia testing very close to birth, like 36 weeks when we screen pregnant people for group beta strep. Just to confirm, yes. But then I had the the lead pediatrician who is at our facility, who is brilliant, was like, well, no, it's, it's protective against much more than that. And he's not high intervention. He's someone who is, of all our pediatricians, one of the most laid back. So now I have, embarrassingly have to admit that I, have I gone down that path of investigating, you know, what else it's protective against? No, but he okay. was like, it's not just gonorrhea and chlamydia. And so I think it's also one of those things that it's, it's an eye ointment on the baby. I get it. It's a medication on your pristine new little human, but it's protective against such potentially catastrophic things that because I work there, I was like, yeah, put the eye ointment on my kid. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not worried about a potential sexually transmitted infection in, in this monogamous relationship, but 
just go for it. He told me that when I wasn't pregnant, I wasn't having a conversation about myself as a patient. Um, So I need to do more research because once the baby is born, the parents are making those decisions with their pediatric providers. So I don't really listen to many of those conversations, but I should find out more based on what he told me because I do, I do trust his opinion. Yeah, totally. Aren't there other things that baby gets right when they're born? Like vitamin Yes. K so that or? one I will tell people is so important. People who want to defer the three that we offer in the hospital, which is, I believe, very universal in, a, in an inpatient setting would be erythromycin eye ointment, hepatitis B, the first in a series, and then vitamin K. I personally did hepatitis B because I'm a hospital worker. So I'm at higher yeah. risk, right, of needle yeah. sticks and things like that. So But that one, when people either want to defer or not do, I'm more understanding of that. Vitamin K. So vitamin K is part of the clotting cascade. So helping a baby's blood to clot. It comes from our gut and babies are born with a sterile gut. So they literally don't have that piece of the clotting cascade. So birth is traumatic for baby. If you think about it, even a birth that's totally seamless, think of what their little bodies are going through. They're ramming up against a birthing person's bones and pelvis. And there certainly can be some trauma under the head specifically. Like there could be some small bleeding that is totally benign, but vitamin K prevents what we call hemorrhagic disease of the newborn. Essentially a baby bleeding somewhere that we can't see. And if they don't have a part of that clotting cascade, they can bleed out. So that's one where I'm like, listen, I think this one is so important because it's preventing something truly catastrophic and there's no way to predict, right? It's a bleeding we can't see. So that's one that I do think is very important to at least do your research on of all the three, because you can't predict it. It's not like people who are, okay, well, I know I'm in a monogamous relationship. I don't want to do the erythromycin eye ointment, which is much more individually risk-based. The the hemorrhagic disease of the newborn prevention is that's just birth is hard. Birth is hard work for the birthing person and the involved baby. Okay. I I totally appreciate that run through. I do think if you've heard horror stories, especially from a hospital setting, but come with their guards up, we're not here to ruin your birth or harm your baby. We're going with evidence-based information and trying to do our best to protect you both and keep you both healthy. And sure, does evidence change, but it's sort of the protocols we have in place right now for a lot of things, not everything is really in the best interest of laboring person and baby. And so it can be hard. We're not trying to harm you. We really just want to protect you and work together, have a really positive experience. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Well, thank you so much for sharing all this wisdom. I feel like I learned a ton today. Oh, good. I'm glad. I feel lucky to work with families and know they're entering into a very vulnerable time in their lives and a vulnerable slash unknown. And it's overwhelming for sure. Exciting, but overwhelming. Thanks again to Anne for sharing all these great tips for labor and delivery in the hospital. And thank you for listening. We'll be back Friday with another inspiring story.